Welcome to Untamed Intimacy, the show that helps you get to the core of what creates safety, love, connection, passion, and pleasure in your relationship. You'll learn how to resolve conflict, communicate authentically, and rekindle passion. So you can create untamed intimacy in your relationship. I'm Ani Manian. And I'm Lee Noto. We're the founders of Untamed Intimacy. And together, we serve couples all around the world to help them create the wildest love they have ever known. We believe that our relationships are the most powerful vehicles for growth, and our partners are our greatest teachers. If you're ready to create untamed intimacy in your relationship, then this is the podcast for you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that, and you'll be notified as soon as we drop a juicy episode. And if you really love and receive value from this podcast, we'd like to ask two things. Please leave a five-star review and consider connecting with us on Instagram at untamed underscore intimacy. And take a screenshot of your favorite episodes and share them in your stories so others can find this content too. And if you'd like to be coached live on air or have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, visit us at untamedintimacylive.com. We can't wait to hear from you. One more kiss. You're recording. Precisely. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Untamed Intimacy with Ani and Lee. (laughs) Today, we want to talk to you a little bit about our story, how we met, and the fact that, in my opinion... We met long before we ever crossed paths in person. I'm going to talk about some of the lessons that we've learned to save you potentially years and decades of trial and error. So strap your seatbelts. This one's going to be a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we were living in New York City. We were both living in New York City circa 2017. And we lived just blocks away from each other in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. But we never met. We never met. We went to the same coffee shops, the same grocery stores, the same gym. I used to play football right outside her window for years, but we never met. We probably were in the same place at the same time. And it was like the movie Serendipity, where we could be like two ships passing in the night and we would just miss each other. When we did meet, it was in very interesting circumstances. It was at a workshop in Brooklyn that neither of us was going to go to, but we both got invited through, I got invited through a dear friend of mine who was working with this coach on learning how to become a more effective presenter. And I was running on three hours of sleep that morning and Despite that, because I'd given my word to the the gentleman who's hosting the workshop, um, I pushed myself to go. And I was, despite drinking enough coffee to get a horse running a race, um, I was still pretty much half asleep. That is, until the moment Lee got up to speak. And then it was like um, Red Bull in you know 
It gave maybe, you wings. Maybe, maybe like a hundred times um, the energy that Red Bull provides in one can. I suddenly woke up and I was, I was struck by just the sheer presence, the sheer power, just the sheer um, beingness that she exuded. And she was talking about um, my dad. Yeah, you were talking about your dad. Um, Lee's dad is a truck driver or was a truck driver. And she was telling stories of how she used to basically go on, you know, these long um, intercontinental trips with her, with her dad and stop at rest stops and, you know, like this whole side of the world and life that I had no idea about. And there was such a beautiful juxtaposition of, of that with, you know, just the way she looked and the way she spoke. And there was so much clarity and power and purpose in every word. It was just mesmerizing. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I remember being up in front of everyone and crying and just recalling memories of my father in that moment that evoked a lot of emotion, evoked, invoked. I had a lot of emotion. We'll put it that way. And I remember during one of the breaks, Ani, um, I was speaking with someone and I could feel Ani's presence right there. Because I literally, she was speaking to someone on the first break and I literally just walked up to them and just stood, you know, two feet away between them just patiently waiting, just, just being there, having no desire to speak, but I was just determined that, you know, we were gonna, we were gonna connect. So I just stood there and it was a little awkward, but not too awkward because. Well, when I had wrapped up this conversation with this woman, Ani intercepted and he found his way in and we got into deep conversation really quickly. And I remember during one of the breaks, we went for a walk. We went to a cute little juice shop and we walked and talked and we connected on some really deep topics. And on the last break of the day, we were chatting and I remember losing presence for a moment and my mind going elsewhere. And I stopped on a mid-sentence. And he was, he was really deep into something. He was very passionate about what he was saying. And I said, I'm going to have to stop you because I only am listening to half of what you're saying. I think you're the man I've been asking for. I didn't really know how to receive that. So I'm not really <laughs> sure what I said. I don't know what you said either. But at this point, I didn't mean this in a romantic context, though I was single at the time. And was looking to create a partner in my life. What I meant when I said that was I was looking for a male counterpart to lead my work with. At that time, I was solo journeying the work around sex and intimacy. And I thought it would be perfect to have a masculine embodiment of someone who could jam with me and lead the work. And I had actually been calling in a male partner for that reason, not necessarily for romantic purposes. And so when he appeared, I was like, I think this is the guy. I think this is the guy I've been asking for. And the funny thing is, is I never say things like that. I 
I typically don't get, you know, at that point anyway, wasn't getting random hits from the universe that this is the one. And for some reason on this day, that was the message that I received. And so we were, you know, very engaged and very intrigued, but we were just friends for many months. The next time we met up, it was at a coffee shop in the Lower East Side in New York and 10 a.m. And I think a weekday morning and within 10 minutes, Lee's a sobbing mess, <laughs> um, which, you know, is uh, pretty characteristic because we went super deep, super fast. And every every conversation was just really real. It was so real um, that we were able to touch places within each other that, you know, just hold so much, so much emotion, so much fear, doubt, insecurity, mm -hmm. worry, um, hope, dreams, you know, just so much juice, life juice. <laughs> and we were able to tap into that. But for months, I think four, four and a half months, we were just friends um, until we weren't. <laughs> well, let me just tell you a story about us being friends. We would have these really sweet meetups and we would just meet at a coffee shop where we would meet and we'd, we'd walk along the water in Brooklyn. And it was the most platonic thing ever. We would hug hello, we would hug goodbye, we would share the fun and interesting details of our lives since we last met up. And never have I ever had a legitimate male friend in my life that I wasn't trying to court somehow or didn't have some sort of ulterior motive with or some sort of interest in romantically. And for these first few months, Ani gave me no sign of any romantic interest. So I was like, okay, we are actually friends, a, a male and a female, we're friends. And about two or three months in, I started asking myself each time we hung out, I'm like, do I like him like more than a friend? I think there's something there. And I would just kind of let the thought be there and then I would let it drift away. And each time we hung out after that, I would have the thought again. Until one time, I remember the day that we hung out in Williamsburg, I we parted ways and I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I think I like this guy. And let me just tell you all, up until this point, I was online dating, which I swore to never do, but ended up doing. And my mom heard about all the guys from the dating apps. So I would call my mom before and after each date. I'd let her know what he was like. She was living vicariously through me. And so when I called her with this, I think she knew something was different. She knew that there was some deeper interest outside of a fun dating app adventure. And I would talk about you often to her mm. and how much I liked you. And it was a very interesting experience because, you know, as men in the society, we are trained to be very responsive to interest from, you know, romantic counterparts who we're interested in as well. And it's an interesting exercise to hold that experience without needing to respond, you know, verbally, physically with any, with anything. 
And, you know, for most of my life, that, that had been a very alien concept. Um, but I think that is the, one of the biggest reasons why we have been able to develop the level of intimacy that we have now, because, you know, for the first, like, four or five months of us knowing each other, everything was just based in an incredible amount of trust and safety. And the connection that we were developing was, was held by that foundation. And, you know, safety comes in many forms, but, you know, safety is in when your partner or when just anyone, you know, it could be a friend, it could be a parent, it could be a relative, but when they can hold you in your experience without needing to change it. And we often do that when we're courting someone. We want to speed things up. We want to get to the good part. We want to, um, we want to move the fantasy along because usually we have a fantasy in our mind and the other person has a fantasy in their mind. And we are unable to fully be in the present moment, in the now, in the magic of the now. And when two people come together and they, you know, have either platonic or romantic interest in each other, there is that desire to press, you know, the, the listen on 2x button, watch a 2x button. And there's the fundamental discomfort with the tension of the now and in that tension of the now is where safety and and trust and intimacy really exist um can we meet each other there can we make contact in that place which is you know sometimes unbearably awkward you know that moment when um you haven't you know touched this human being that maybe you're on a date with or you've just met and you see some signs of interest and you're interested in them and those little pockets of awkwardness when you're just looking at each other, you're thinking similar things. And, you know, there's this incredible amount of tension. So our ability to hold that tension is what determines how much we can conduct the energy of that connection, almost like an orchestra. And I, I geeked out in a way in conducting the energy of our connection like like an orchestra in that way. Hmm. Yeah, I was quite perplexed because many women have the experience as well that we expect that things will move along quite quite quickly in this modern day realm of dating. And I I was caught off guard by the fact that there was no advance that was made. And to remain legitimate friends with someone for a number of months, even with a curiosity around what could be if there were something more, was an interesting experience for me and was a tension that I had to hold. And interestingly enough, I'm typically in these situations very forward. And if there's something I want, I'll go get it. I'll, I'll give someone compliments or I'll, you know, I'm not shy when it comes to making romantic advances. And for some reason, something told me to really step back with this one. And it was fascinating because 
in so many moments of my past, when I felt that sort of safety with a man, I didn't know what to do with it. Because like many of us, we've had so many experiences where we haven't felt safety, be it emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual. When safety is present, there is almost a foreignness to it. And for me, there was a foreignness to safety being so deeply present, but not acting on it in some sort of sexual or romantic way. And I had done that with many partners in my past where we were really, really great friends. And this man allowed me to feel so safe in his presence. And I was under the impression for a lot of my early dating career that if that's how I felt around a man, I should really act on it. He's a, he's a good one. And, and, and I felt, you know, as, as a man, I felt um, a similar way, you know, when a woman who's attractive is interested in you, the only logical next step is to act on it immediately because, you know, that's the conditioning and that comes, you know, it, it comes with a kind of scarcity. You need to act on it now because if you wait, then that opportunity goes away. They're going to lose interest. Um, if, you know, and you need to be in this constant mode of acting on any opportunity, quote unquote. And so, you know, in a way for both of us, it was a kind of deconditioning the pattern and we all have these patterns. And when we look for these patterns, we see them playing out essentially for large parts of our lives. So you might even ask yourself right now, what kind of patterns do I notice in, um, you know, in my past dating life, in my past relationships? What kind of patterns do I notice in my current relationship that I'm in um, or your marriage or, you know, even with friends? Um, because how we do one thing is how we do everything. And when it comes to relationships, you know, these patterns, they, they follow us across the board because they're usually inherited from a deeper place within us. It's, it's, it's like a fractal. Mm. And so like you said, we've deconstructed a lot in this relationship. This relationship has alchemized so much and it's been fascinating to see what has been made available to us as a result of coming together. And when we came together, um, you know, barely having been dating maybe a month, I told Lee, hey, um, I'm planning on going nomadic. I have no interest in being in the winter anymore. Uh, so do you want to toss out 90% of your stuff, pack two suitcases and just hit the road with me? And she was crazy enough to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to share some of the themes that have been present in this relationship um, as a way to potentially open up possibilities for you, as a way to potentially open up uh, breakthroughs and, you know, share some of our lived experience. So one of the paths we've taken in this relationship is one that of radical surrender. So we realized early on, and this has been something that I've been contemplating for years, all the ways in which I externalize safety. We were talking about safety, right? So how do we create safety in our life? We get ourselves a nice, comfortable home. We fill that home with lots of our stuff, right? We develop these routines. 
Um, so we know exactly what we're doing every morning. We get jobs um, that pay us money, like a steady paycheck. And we start businesses and we hustle, hustle, hustle to make money because you know we associate having money with safety. So we externalize safety for the most part, right? We think safety comes from all these things. We, it comes from money. It comes from having a home. It comes from having stuff. It comes from having, you know, the guarantee of love, right? The guarantee of relationships. We, we actually get married to each other to create safety as well, because we want that relational continuity. So in this way, you know, I was realizing many, many years ago that I had externalized safety to all these parts of my life. And so I had been on a, on a path to essentially take back safety, reclaim safety and bring that inside. So rather than outsourcing safety, which is a core basic human need, also in relationships, by the way, I wanted to insource that. I wanted to bring it inside. So I had quit, you know, a very lucrative career growing, advising startups into hypergrowth. Um, and I had ended a relationship that, you know, was safe, but it there was just a, a, a mismatch in terms of, you know, where we were and who we were. Um, I had walked away from several circles of friends. I'd walked away from, you know, habits and just a complete sort of um, shift in my way of life. And the next on my hit list was walking away from New York City, which I'd called home for, you know, almost 17 years and walking away from, you know, having um, my apartment that I lived in for six years and, you know, relying on all these constructs to create safety, to help me feel safe. And so that was the first thing that we surrendered. So since then, we've actually been living uh, nomadic, you know, in Airbnbs. Our plan was to, you know, travel to many, many countries, which got interrupted a little bit with COVID. And we spent a month in Mexico, which was lovely. Um, but it's been absolutely transformative and profound to create that safety inside the kind of safety that we would depend on, um, you know, a home or an apartment in one place for. So we've moved maybe, what do you think? We've moved um, 10 times in the past Probably. seven months, <laughs> um, traveling with, you know, basically two suitcases. We've also realized how little we actually need. Um, yeah. Um it's been quite the adventure. This nomadic journey has been the catalyst for so much of our growth, the uprooting, the feeling of being ungrounded and, and creating the grounding within ourselves versus within our physical environment, as Ani was saying. And I am sure that this journey, the journey we've been on, has also created and allowed us to create a huge foundation within ourselves and within our relationship to do the work that we're doing now. And it has been a beautiful, hmm, a beautiful stew of both of our bodies of work that have created what is now untamed intimacy. And I'm so sure that 
this is going to be a part of our lives that that is 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 going to be pivotal for us and is also going to be pivotal for how we serve the world. Yeah, this idea of untamed intimacy is really born from our our relationship. It's something that we seek to create every single day. It's something that we've fought ourselves and each other <laughs> a lot to define and to access. And I want to share a little bit about what that means to us. So everything that we teach, everything that we use in our work with, um, with people, with couples, um, is from direct experience. Everything is based on this idea that our relationships are our greatest vehicle for growth and evolution. We come into relationships because we're seeking to grow, right? Because we're seeking to evolve. Now, this is the first distinction I'm going to offer. Are you in your relationship because you want to rest, because you want to finally rest? Or are you coming into your relationship? Are you in your relationship because you're seeking growth? Because this is the first mindset that determines which direction you're going to go. Now, a lot of people, um, you know, their life basically follows this trajectory. They, when they're, when they, you know, in their definition, when they're young, they date around, they have a lot of fun, and then they settle down into a long-term relationship. And that's when they quote unquote, give up, right? They default to, you know, certain habits. Um, they ground even deeper into who they are and, you know, they co start cohabitating with this other person, but there is a resistance to change rather than a deep desire, to, you know, for change. So one of the things that's been ever present in this relationship is we're both extremely hungry for growth. And every single day we look at the other as a mirror for where we need to do more growth. And, you know, the only commitment I make to Lee really is that this relationship is going to be, bless you. Thank you. Um, one in which, you know, we will never be comfortable. Now, what that means is not comfortable in a physical sense, but it's comfortable in like feeling like we're done growing. Because to me, when in a relationship, when, we're, when we stop growing, that's when the relationship starts falling apart. Another really beautiful distinction here that I've learned in this relationship is that our partner serves as one of our greatest mirrors and one of our greatest teachers. And when we can step out of the mindset that this person is here to tell me what to do, but rather this person is here to show me more about myself and is a reflection of me. And when conflict arises, when I feel triggered, what is being kicked up in me that is creating this reaction? How is this person acting as an ultimate mirror for me? And speaking of radical surrender, when I surrender to that as a mindset, and it's something that's a practice, I, I don't nail it every time in, in conflict. And I'm like, oh, you know what? It's fine. Ani's just my ultimate teacher. No, I, I can resist too. Um, but when I remember that, I'm like, oh, there is a much bigger picture at play here. There is something that I can learn here. There is something, there's some way to grow. 
And when we can just shift our perspective, even 1% in that way, it doesn't necessarily change the circumstances, but it does help us to change our trajectory, what we might say, what we might do, how we might act, how we might respond, and the stories that we tell ourselves, because we are always providing ourselves with stories about ourselves, about the other, about the world. And so what kinds of stories are we telling ourselves about any of those things? And are those stories serving to help us grow and expand in the direction that we want to grow and expand? Or are they keeping us stuck? Are they keeping us angry, frustrated, annoyed in a place of victimhood? How are we using the meaning our mind makes of things? Yeah. So to recap, you know, in a relationship, we're either looking for comfort or we're looking for growth. Um, and that's more, uh, you know, in terms of our spiritual, personal development, um, our understanding of who we are, our desire to transcend some of the ways in which we create challenges for ourselves. Second, what was the second one? Our partner acting as as an ultimate teacher a mirror yeah so are we seeing our partner as a mirror as in just like we use a mirror and we go to the mirror for a reflection right we don't if we don't like what we see we don't toss out the mirror right we either do our hair or you know we put some more moisturizer on so the second distinction is are we seeing our partner as a mirror or are we resisting the reflection that is being shown back to us? And are we trying to get rid of the mirror as in get rid of the partner when we don't like what's reflected back? Or we try to change our partner when we're seeing our own reflection through them. Should we do one more? Well, just a side note before we throw one last one in is that comfort and growth, while they seem antithetical, antithetical, is that the right word? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're going to find often that I'm just going to throw random words into these podcast episodes, but I think you'll know what I mean. <laughs> so comfort and growth, while they seem like opposites, I have found that we've been able to cultivate both in our relationship. There is a deep comfort and safety in being able to be in a safe space with you. And that is second only to the comfort and safety that we have cultivated within ourselves first. So do not be fooled into thinking that if you choose the path of growth in your relationship, that that's all you're going to be doing 24 seven, there is time for rest and replenishment and nourishment. And in fact, that is absolutely necessary. And there's going to be a lot of growth, meaning get ready to strap on the mindset of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. And you know, that leads to the third um, takeaway that, I want to share, which is vulnerability. You know, our degree of comfort with ourselves determines our ability to create safety within ourselves determines how vulnerable we can be with our partners. And the level of vulnerability we exhibit and we um, show to our partners directly determines how much intimacy we share in in the relationship and you know this is something that is talked about a lot but 
the the magic of vulnerability actually happens in the nuances. It's those tiny, tiny, tiny moments when we think something, but we hold it back. When we have an insight about ourselves, but we hold it back because we fear judgment. You know, I don't want my partner to think less of me because if they truly see me, then they might not like what they see and then they'll leave. This was one of my biggest um, patterns, right? I had a fear of abandonment and I was always afraid that I'm going to be left. Um, And, you know, the first two relationships I had, I got cheated on. And that basically set the stage for this fear. And so the dynamic was set that if they really know me, if they really see me, if they really feel me, then they might not like what they see. And if they don't like what they see, they'll leave. Right. So I used to keep my cards close to my chest. And one of the biggest um, themes of this relationship is the idea of radical vulnerability, which is sharing openly in, um, you know, in a, in a sensitive way, right. In an emotionally associated way, what's actually happening, you know, which may be, Hey, I feel really insecure about this. Hey, I feel really afraid that, you know, we aren't, um, feeling settled in this new place. And, you know, I'm, I'm scared that I'm not going to feel productive and I'm not going to feel comfortable and I'm not going to sleep well. You know, there's a whole range of things. Um, there's a, there's so many, we have about 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and several of those thoughts are charged with this emotion. When we don't show those thoughts, when we don't express that in a vulnerable way to our partners, they don't really feel us. They don't really know us. They, They can sense often, even if it's unconscious, that there's something happening inside us that isn't available to them. And that creates a wall in between. And take, you know, 10 years of this and the wall gets thicker and taller. And suddenly we feel separated. We feel apart. And that happens, you know, like snap of a finger, time flies. So radical vulnerability is one of the bedrocks of this relationship. And, you know, Lee, I want you to talk about the other side. Like what it, when one person is being, um, and I call this taking the exquisite risk of being vulnerable because it's an exquisite risk. It's risky. It feels edgy and scary. And it's also exquisite because that's really where we find the meaning of being human, of being alive, of being in a relationship. So what's the other side of this in terms of the other partner, in terms of how they need to show up to create the safety, to create the space in which that vulnerability is actually received? Hmm. So here's something we're not taught, which is how to listen. We're taught how to follow rules, but we're not taught to truly be engaged listeners, active listeners, compassionate listeners. And this is something that I had struggled with for many, many years, my whole life, probably until this relationship. Because so often we are waiting to get our word in, waiting to share our response, waiting to defend ourselves. I speak all from personal experience. And we're not truly tuned in or present with what the person is saying when they're sharing so vulnerably. So something that has really helped me and a number of the clients I've worked with is to 
just try and drop the agenda. Allow whatever thoughts you have to sort of float through, and if they're meant to come back, they will. And when your partner is sharing with you, allow yourself to remain quiet. In fact, it is easier to do that. It's easier on the body. It's easier on the level of energy that you're exuding when you don't have to try and remember how you're going to respond to that person. And in fact, the times when I practice that, I feel so much more at ease because I'm like, oh, all I have to do is sit here and and hear them, listen to them and be with them. There's literally nothing else I have to do. I don't have to have the answer. I don't have to know how to solve it. I don't have to try and make them feel better. Most often, people just want to be heard. And we tend to forget that that's all they want. Sometimes people want a solution and perhaps they'll make a request for that, but they just want to know that they have a place to share something. And so sitting there and and simply listening is one. And giving affirmation, authentic affirmation that you are hearing the person, that can be through body language. Perhaps it's a nodding of the head, like, yeah, I feel you. That's freaking rough. Or like, hmm, yes, yeah, I hear you. And giving them verbal affirmation that you hear them. Sometimes there's an appropriate moment to ask a question like, hey, can you tell me more about that? Or what was that like for you? And these are questions that have genuine curiosity. These aren't leading questions. They're not probing questions. There's a time and place for that. And it's just like, wow, what was that like for you? What were you feeling? You know, what what did you feel like was missing for you? Um, And simply sharing and being there in a place of empathy so that the two of you can feel connected in those moments. And, you know, in a relationship, what both people really want deep down is to be held, is to feel like they can be themselves, they can be authentic, and their authenticity and their, you know, truest expression is not just tolerated, but it's cherished. Mm. So what Lee's talking about is, can we both in a relationship take radical responsibility to create safety for the other person to be who they are? Can we allow them to feel safe for expressing anything without taking it personally? Can we receive their truth even when it feels prickly for us? Right. And when I say prickly for us, I mean, it really pokes and stabs at our ego. Right. That's what creates this reaction of taking something personally. We want to make it about us. Then we want to lash out. And now the other person shut down and they don't want to say anything. So they stop saying things and they hold things in. Five years later, they ask for a divorce. Right. Most things don't need to get that bad. And in a future episode, um, I want to talk about this idea of, you know, conflict, why we, why we create conflict, you know, what are all the purposes that it um, serves and how we can basically meet our needs without resorting to conflict. Because I truly believe that conflict is optional in relationships. And, you know, we aren't really taught any of these things. We aren't really taught how to get our needs met. So sometimes we create conflict because that's the only way we were able to meet our needs as kids. 
So we're going to be talking about that and a whole lot more in future episodes. Um, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you about some of these things. Um, I want to make a declaration. We are going to be showing up on this show, on this channel, with radical vulnerability and radical authenticity. And we're just going to be bearing our guts to you, our imperfections, our insecurities, all the areas we struggle, uh, all the ways in which we mess up, you know, in with ourselves, with each other, because we don't believe in this idea of a perfect relationship in the way society sells the dream. You know, we're all taught that, you know, go like get a job, start a business, make money, get married, and then live happily ever after. And yet we all know people who went down that road, but ended up, you know, either broken up or they have shitty relationships. They're toxic. They're not good for each other. Um, and I say that with, you know, caveat, there's no such thing as not good for each other. Uh, there's no such thing as toxic because there's always a reflection being shown back. So it's, are we really learning the lessons and receiving the gifts um, or are we just repeating the patterns? So there is this myth that, you know, you, you find your soulmate, you're in love and that's enough and you'll be happily ever after. That doesn't work. The divorce rate is 50%. People struggle a lot with relationships and it's our mission to help you create the relationship of your dreams, create the kind of safety that you need, the kind of connection that you want, the kind of desire and intimacy and passion and play and pleasure and, you know, just beautiful communication where you feel really held, where you feel really met, where you feel really seen. And that is our commitment to you to show up here and to give you the tools and the practices and the insights that you need to make this happen, to create untamed intimacy in your life. Aho. Uh -huh. Thank you. And we'll be back with more soon. We love you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you made it this far, it probably means that you enjoyed listening, learned a lot, and are one step closer to deeper intimacy. To help couples like you discover the show and transform their lives, please consider leaving a five-star review and hitting subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at untamed underscore intimacy. We'd love to hear from you there. If you want to be the first to gain access to exclusive content, practices and tools to create untamed intimacy in your life, join our mailing list by clicking the link in the show notes. You'll receive powerfully curated content that's no bullshit and pure love. And if you want to learn more about creating untamed intimacy in your life, then visit us at untamedintimacy.com. We see you and we appreciate you. Until next time, much love and good vibes.